Hello, everybody. Hope you're having a great Monday. Hope you had a wonderful weekend. Welcome to another episode of the Neutral Corner Boxing Podcast. This is episode 360. I am your host, Michael Montero. And as always, I remind you guys to pay the fee for the show. It is non-monetary. All I ask is that if you get something out of the show, if you're entertained, you have some fun, maybe you learn something, you hear a, a perspective you never thought about before, just share the show. Share the show on your social media. Let people know about it. Uh, we don't do ads or anything like that here. It's strictly word of mouth. That's how we grow it. So the fee is share the show. And I ask you to do that not once, but every week. Every week I ask you guys to do that. All right. We've got a jam-packed show. We've got a lot to cover. Okay. But before I get into the review of the big fight last weekend and some other things, we had a big fight announcement uh, late last week as well. Before I get into all that, I want to bring on a guest. We haven't had a guest in a long time on the show. I've just been too freaking busy. But uh, we're going to have a special guest on here, uh, Melissa Smith, who does the girl boxing blog that she started in 2010. So she's been doing it for quite a while. Women's boxing historian. She's an author, written several books. I think she has one coming on the way. She could uh, tell us a little more about that. And she's a board member at the International Women's Boxing Hall of Fame, which is having their Night of the Stars Gala, their 10-year anniversary uh, this weekend, October 6th and 7th in Las Vegas. So let's bring her on to talk about that. We we got a couple of super chats already. CJ Duncan, with uh, he says, PBC record with crossing the street is in shambles. Oh, CJ, why you got to do them like that? Thank you so much, brother. I appreciate it. And then we got a CJ. For, um, we've got another super chat from Aaron Gortman. Thank you so much, Aaron. I appreciate you, brother. He says, yo, Mike, how should I train my state champion kangaroo to beat Bud Crawford at 154? Hey, man, I got to say, uh, Tim Zoo looked really good in his last fight. Uh, we'll talk more about him later in the show because um, – I don't think Jermell Charlo wants any piece of that. I don't know if Ter uh, Bud Crawford might be a little too much for him at this point. All right, but we'll talk more about that later in the show. I appreciate you, Aaron. All right, guys, let's get right to our guest. Let's talk to Melissa Smith. Melissa, how you doing? I'm good. It's so nice to see you again, Mike. It's great, great to, to see be you. on the show. Thank you. Thank you for coming on. I know that you're you're traveling this week. When are you taking off to Vegas? I'm leaving on Thursday. Uh, okay. We have our, our Night of the Stars event that starts on Friday afternoon, October 6th. We'll have a series of really fun events in the afternoon with some of our inductees coming by for meets and greets and signing materials. We'll have raffles. We'll have all sorts of fun stuff going on. And then on uh, the night of October 7th, we will have our induction event which will be very, very exciting. We have some terrific folks that we're inducting this year, including awesome. Lou DiBella for 2024. We have Bruce Silverglade from the, the infamous Gleason's Gym who we're inducting for our 2023 uh, inductee. He, um, you know, for those of us in New York, he's the one that said, yeah, women can come into the gym. In the early 1980s, when everybody was say, else you was trained saying, at Gleason's, right? You I do. I, I still train there. I've still been there, training okay. there since uh, 1997. So it's it's really exciting that we're honoring him and also Sonia Lamonicus out of Gleason's gym. Because awesome. there are 15, 16 uh, world champions and counting. That's women alone out of Gleason's gym since uh, Jill wow. Design Lion won her first uh, world professional championship in 1998 so it's a really exciting run and we're very happy to honor not only Bruce but all the other fantastic uh, inductees that we'll be 
having uh, on uh, on our event on Saturday. Yeah, and it's such a interesting stat. I didn't know that that you had that many champions, yeah, female champions at the Gleasons, and it shows to your point. If you just open up the gym and give opportunities, yep, as they did at Gleasons, women have been training there for for a while. You can build champions there, right? The the talents there. You just have to give people the opportunities. Yeah, I mean, our latest champions are obviously um, Heather Hardy, but mm-hmm. you know, this is the home of Alicia Ashley. Um, you know, who's herself a, 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 a not only an international women's boxing Hall of Fame inductee, but uh, 2022 Boxing Hall of Fame inductee. Mm-hmm. So that's at Gleason's gym. So it's a really exciting opportunity. <laughs> yeah, I, <laughs> I voted exciting. for her. So that was cool. Yeah. And um, uh, we're also honoring Jill Diamond for all of her work. Jill's with awesome. WBC and WBC Cares. I mean, I, I'll probably break down into tears when I introduce her because she has meant so much to the sport and has really given her heart and soul to ensuring that women have a fair break in the sport. Yeah, she's she's a real unsung hero because a lot of boxing fans don't know who she is. They might recognize her if they saw her face because right. they've probably seen her, but they don't know who she is. But she does so much work, and uh, I love what she does through WBC Cares. Yeah. Uh, I fought on an event here in Atlanta that they, they sponsored. They got involved, and um, once they got involved, the event blew up, and we ended up doing so much. We raised a lot for a local charity here. And a lot of that was due to the WBC's involvement. I'll, I'll uh, always thank her and thank them for that. She does so much work, uh, obviously, with, with women's boxing, but also a lot with the youth. I've seen her yes. do uh, work with a lot of youth um, uh, events and things like that. So she's awesome. That's good. Tell, tell Jill I said what's up. Yeah, I absolutely will. Yeah, we're really excited. In fact, we're going to have an event uh, when we come back from – uh, Las Vegas will have an event at Gleason's gym, um, mentoring young ladies in New York city. So it'll Love be it. uh, a, a whole bunch of Gleason's championship women boxers who will be, uh, talking about giving motivational speeches and talking about how to mentor these young ladies into a, a better future, which is one of the things that I think the international women's boxing hall of fame stands for is not only, giving space and attention to the women who have been unsung in their careers until boxing kind of blew up for women in the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. But those, but also all the work that they do to pay it forward, whether it's Christy Martin going out and doing events all over the country, not only uh, assisting boxers, but also talking about her personal story uh, as a victim yeah. of abuse um, mm-hmm. and, and, uh, a, a fighter like Melissa St. V who goes out supporting autism mm-hmm. and, and neurodivergency. So there's, there's really exciting things that come out of what women are doing for each other. And it's one of the reasons I feel so dedicated to having this international women's boxing hall of fame. I mean, yeah, there's a lot of boxing hall of fames. There was just the Atlantic city one this past right. weekend. There's one in Georgia, there's one in Florida, but what's unique about this one is that, Women remain unsung in this sport. Their place remains unsung in this sport. And it's important for not only us to remind people that there is a place for women, but that they're also there to pay it forward and ensure that women of the next generation, these young ladies that are fighting on and the JOs and and the youth uh, winning youth championships all over the world out of the United States and other countries, have an opportunity to really compete and come into the Olympics and become mm-hmm. the professionals of tomorrow. 
Yeah, and the, the International Women's Boxing Hall of Fame has been around for 10 years. Um, you ladies really, you, you set the trends for what we're seeing now, because as you mentioned, it's really only in the last few years that the rest of the sport has kind of caught up and the sanctioning organizations have started uh, having titles for, for women. Um, yeah. uh, Canastota didn't have a, a women's category until very recently. I was on the, yeah. the, the inaugural class and I want to say that was three years ago. Maybe. It was 2020. I mean, yeah, uh, you yeah. know, basically in 2019 at Brophy, um, yeah. you know, had, had, who's the executive director who had his eye on it for a long time, was able to, you know, things had come to that point by that point where you had undisputed, you know, you, you no longer had just had Cecilia Breakus, but you had Katie right. Taylor and Clarissa Shields, Having one yeah, uh, well, too, that yeah. was after that, but oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, in terms of the what turned that tide was that understanding of that first class of Olympians that started in 2012. And can you believe it? There wasn't even the Olympics before 2012 for women. Yeah. Um, that first class of Olympians had such a, such a course of excellence in how they contested in boxing. That is what essentially made the difference, and which is why. We are now able to honor our earlier boxers who were trendsetters, who were really important to the sport, such as Christy Martin, Lucia Riker, Layla Ali, uh, Ann Wolf, um, mm. Regina Halmick. These are stellar stars in, in a firmament that most people never heard of and still have no. Listen, I wrote my book, A History of Women's Boxing. It was published in 2014. It's still, it's, Eight years later, nine years later, it remains the only book in the sport. There's wow. no nobody came behind me. I'm like, please, please have a new book coming out called a Prom The Promise of Women's Boxing, which takes a look at the last 10 years to say, ha have things really changed or are they sort of the same? And in some senses, they really have. Women have mm -hmm. earned a million dollars. They've headlined at Madison Square Garden between Katie Taylor and Amanda Serrano. Serrano's going to fight 12 by three next month uh, in Florida with three belts. Um, but for the fighters on the undercard, not a lot's changed. Mm. And in the United States, there's still nobody putting them on television or on streaming services. Yeah. Yeah. So How disappointing is that? I, I, you know, because you look at what Lou DiBella obviously has been willing to. Uh, but outside of him... Uh, Golden Boy has had some some female uh, fighters, they, they um, top yeah. rank, but PBC, Nothing. I can't think of one. They Nothing. went from at least putting something like you know like a Heather Hardy on, which they did in 2016, the same night that Clarissa Shields won her second gold medal. Heather Hardy fought uh, uh, Shalito Vincent for a WBC international baby belt. And it was the first time a PBC women's bout had been on MB on any kind of television. It was shown on NBC streaming, NBC Sports. Since then, basically, there have been very few. As long as they've been on Showtime, which started with COVID, right. zero. So that's three years. Yeah, yeah and, and there's, there's no pushback on that. I find it very, very nope. interesting. Um, no, we have a, a super chat from, uh, I have to, I have to bring this up. Papa Chubby sure. asks, uh, if you have an opinion on Sandy Ryan, I don't know if you saw her recent fight, which oh, is very I did. Close. I did. I was very vocal about it. I was like split draw. What? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, first of all, Sandy Ryan is a, is an example of, of 
of this new generation of fighters. She Absolutely. Was, yeah. She was totally, she has an extraordinary amateur career, really high level elite fighter coming out of the amateurs and has been really managed very well by Eddie Hearn, who we get, have to give a shout out to in UK for what he has been doing with matchroom boxing to promote women after Katie Taylor, after he first signed Katie Taylor. And Sandy Ryan is an exquisite fighter. She's tall. She fights tall, but she really has an inside game when she needs to. She fights in different levels. She does beautiful work to the body. And when she fought Jessica McCaskill for a unification fight on Saturday, uh, last Saturday uh, in, in Florida, she executed a beautiful, beautiful fight game. And anyone who was looking at that fight had a 98-92, if you were generous, 97-93, which is how I scored it. And it came out, 97-93, McCaskill, 96-94, Ryan, and 95-95. And it was just, you know... <laughs> Boxing. <laughs> Box, that, that's what Sandy Ryan said. Absolutely crushed, knowing that yeah. she had won. She's like, well, it's boxing, isn't it? But it's, it's shameful. It really was a shameful, shameful, shameful score. Yeah, so, unfortunately, we, we see that. It is what it is. We see it all Men's the time. boxing, women's boxing, you see that. Uh, amateur see boxing, that. it just happens yeah, too just, freaking much. So now the hope is, you know, uh, they're they're going to have some kind of rematch, and hopefully it's yeah, gonna... I'd welcome it. It was a fun fight. It was a, it was fight. a great fight. So terrific boxing, and and Rand, R Sandy Ryan to me is is what the future is all about. I don't know if folks saw. Uh, there's a, a Caroline Dubois who's a lightweight fighter out of England. She fought this weekend on a main event mm -hmm. from boxer, which is uh, uh, Ben Shalom's uh, man um, uh, company promotion company out of UK as well. He also has a large stable of terrific female fighters and she's another boxer, terrific amateur background and really is what the future of boxing is all about. I hear you. Yeah. And I agree. She's fun to watch. Um, before I let you go, we got to move on because I have so sure, much yeah, to talk about got... today, but yeah. <laughs> um, where, where can people find you? So your, where, your blog, can, where can they find your blog? And where can they find you on Twitter? Because you're a fun follow on Twitter. Yeah, I am at Girl Boxing now on Twitter and Instagram and trying out threads and whatever else is out there. But I'm always at Girl Boxing now, one word. My blog is, uh, or my website is girlboxing.org. I have links to media that I'm on. Um, I also do podcasts. I do whatever I can do. And I and I will, uh, I have, uh, as I said, you can get links to my book, A History of Women's Boxing, which is available on Amazon and look for my new book, The Promise of Women's Boxing. And and, and Clarissa Shields has done the forward for it. So I'm really honored to have her How cool participation in, in this project. It, it really is exciting. That's awesome. And have a great time this weekend. Tell everyone I said what's up. Is Terry Moss going out there? Oh, the absolutely. Game? Yeah. Tell <laughs> him I said what's up. Have a drink on me. Uh, oh, absolutely, uh, Mike. Thanks and, again for having me and putting me ahead of what I know is a pack fill show on oh, Canelo. No worries. And, we'll do it again and, soon. And yeah. We'll do it again soon. And I promise I will get out there for one of these. I just awesome. have to stop having babies around this time of year. <laughs> and I'll, <laughs> I'll get out there, okay? All have right. a good Happy one. Happy fatherhood. Thank you. <laughs> Bye-bye. All right, ciao. There she goes, guys. Um, awesome, awesome work from Melissa Smith. And she, you know, she's really being humble about her contribution. She she downplays it. 
she is one of those trendsetters that got people talking about this stuff in a real way that led to this recent explosion that we've had. She's, she's really downplaying her contribution. She is freaking awesome. All right. Uh, you know what? I saw some more super chat pledges. Uh, I want to make sure I get to these. Uh, one other one, one other one real quick from deluxe recordings. Thank you so much. He says the fight to watch was Ugas versus Barrios. Barrios was in God mode fight and should have been stopped. Just like we need a morning show <laughs> like Ugas. I feel bad for him, but he went out on his shield. At least Barrios and Ugas, they deluxe. I think, are you talking, what fight are you talking about? Cause Barrios and Ugas went to, Oh, you feel bad for Ugas. Okay. Okay. Sorry. I misread your, your post here. Um, you know, yeah, I, I'm with you. I'll talk more about that fight, obviously, in just a minute here. Um, I like Ugas. He's a good guy, and he's carved out a really solid career for himself. But, dude, he needs to hang him up. He looked finished in this fight. He needs to hang him up, man. Uh, because if Barrios could punch, and, you know, like, I, Barrios could punch a little bit when he was lower in weight, but now at 147, he just doesn't have that game-changing power. And, um if he could punch, this fight would have ended before the final bell. But um, at this point, man, Ugas is going to get hurt by one of these guys uh, if he keeps on fighting. All right, let's uh, let's talk about one other thing real quick, guys. I want to get my thoughts on this. Going to be talking about this, obviously, a lot in the coming months. But apparently, it's official. Tyson Fury, Alexander Usyk are going to fight early next year. They're talking about January. It's going to be over in Saudi Arabia, which tells you, the story of this fight is all about the money, baby. So our upfront thoughts here. You can make a case for why each man should win this fight, right? For Usyk, if you believe Usyk's going to win this fight, it's because in a pound-for-pound pound sense, he does everything better than Fury. Pretty much everything. Um, he's the better athlete. He's also the more serious athlete. He's the more serious human being. He's the more stable human being. He doesn't blow up in weight in between fights. He doesn't go on coke benders and everything, whatever else in between fights like Fury does. He does, hasn't used performance enhancing drugs in the past like Fury has. He hasn't done all that. So his body's a little more preserved, right? And so you think, okay, and he's a southpaw. Southpaws give Fury problems. So that's all your justification for if you feel Usyk should win this fight. Now, over on Tyson Fury's side, it's pretty simple. He's a mountain of a man. He's a legit six foot seven. He's not six nine like they list him. I don't know why they do that. It's really stupid, but he's a legit six seven. Okay. A solid six seven for real. And he walks around at 280, 290. Yeah, a lot of it's in his midsection, but he's still a just massive human being. His size and skill set, he's not just a big guy that punches hard like. Anthony Joshua or Deontay Wilder. Um, he, he's a big guy that's very, very skilled. In fact, even in a pound for pound sense, Fury is a very skillful boxer. Doesn't throw his punches straight, can get very, very sloppy, has massive defensive lapses, but gets away with a lot of that because he's so huge. If Fury was 6'3, 220, none of us would have probably ever heard of him. But because he is the size that he is, I shouldn't say we've never heard from him. He wouldn't be in the position he is today. How about that? But because of that size and the skill set that goes along with it, 
on paper, he should win this fight. Also add in the fact that Alexander Usyk fought in the amateurs when he was uh, in the youth amateurs, I think as a middleweight, maybe a super middleweight. He um, He's truly a cruiserweight that bulks up to fight at heavyweight. He's not a natural 21st century heavyweight. You know, they call us the quote unquote super heavyweight era. He's not a super heavyweight. He's not even Deontay Wilder size. He's just not that tall and long and rangy. He is a cruiserweight who fights at heavyweight. So he's going to be outgunned here. Usyk doesn't have game-changing power at heavyweight at all. He also, um, he's been inactive. I think he said, what, five fights since he moved up to heavyweight five years ago? So like one fight a year. Hasn't been the most active guy. In fact, Fury's actually been more active collectively over the last three, four years than Usyk has. So, and Fury's not the most active guy. So that's the justification for you thinking Fury should win this fight. But as it gets closer, and once it becomes officially official, because now, like, literally, I found I, I just find this hilarious, that the week of a Canelo fight, and Canelo is the biggest star in the sport by far. No one even comes close, right? Globally, he's the big, big star. The week of a Canelo fight, they announce that Fury Usyk, they don't announce the fight, but they announce that it's been agreed to, and it's coming soon. Somewhere in Saudi Arabia. <laughs> so that's where we're at in boxing in 2023, where it's an announcement of a future announcement that makes the news. But it is what it is. That's where we're at. All right. Let's go to uh, last Saturday, September 30th. Uh, real quick, we'll touch on this card in London. Uh, Matchroom had a card at Wembley Arena on the zone. Opataya, Jai Opataya, TKO4 win over Jordan Thompson, who came in with a 15-0 record, absolute dog shit resume. So um, he basically fought 15 guys like the guy I just fought a few weeks ago. No disrespect, but I'm just saying that's not, you know, obviously not world-class level uh, opposition. Uh, so he, you know, Thompson just didn't look like he belonged in the same ring with Opataya was dropped in the third and fourth Opataya proved in this fight. He is the best cruiserweight in the world. He is, he is currently the best. I want to see him unify some belts. I want to see him get active and fight. I'd love to see him fight three, four times a year, build a brand over in Australia and, and set a precedent at cruiserweight. I'd love to see one of these cruiserweight champions clean out the division and stay there, not move up to heavyweight and sell out for the money. Stay at cruiserweight. Own the division for five, six years. Do what Vladimir Klitschko did, but do it at cruiserweight. That's what I want to see. I want to see just one of them do that. Could Opataya be that guy? I don't know. But he is the best cruiserweight out there right now. That division is a complete mess, but he's the best one in that division right now. All right. Las Vegas, Showtime, pay-per-view. PBC on pay-per-view. $85. Because you've already spent, what, four or $500 this year on pay-per-view? What's another 85 right? But before we get to the main event, uh, Mario Barrios, unanimous decision win over Jordanus Ugas. And, and this got ugly in, in the final rounds. Uh, no disrespect to either man, but these guys don't punch very hard. They're not known as punchers. Never have been known as punchers. Uh, and that is the reason why ultimately why this fight went to distance. I think if Ugas was in there with a harder punching guy like an Errol Spence, a harder punching welterweight, I should say, like Errol Spence, uh, you saw what happened in that fight, where that fight ultimately got stopped. It wasn't a clean knockout, but it was a stoppage. And I think that um, 
Ugas really just needs to hang him up. That eye swelled up again. His face swelled up. He just didn't look good. As for Barrios, is he a player in the welterweight division right now? Define player. Do I think he's going to challenge a guy like Boots Ennis, give him like a real challenge? Do I think he could beat Terrence Crawford or even compete with Crawford? Do I think he could beat Errol Spence? No, I don't. I, I, ju I just don't. He's not on that level. But he could fight somebody like Jerron Ennis, who needs opponents. PBC is going to be trying to promote him and using their influence to get him in the ring for vacant titles. And he's going to need guys to fight. And I could see Barrios filling that, that role you know, in the near future. So I think that's where we'll see him soon. Uh, in the co-main, Erickson Lubin, unanimous decision win over Jesus Ramos, who drops to 20 and one. He had come in undefeated uh, fighter out of Arizona. I think Ramos also had one MMA fight and now is uh, 20 and one as a pro boxer. So <sighs> this decision was really bad, really bad. Not that Ramos was super, super impressive because he wasn't, but Lubin did very little until the last, you know, three, four rounds where he did win some rounds. Lubin did win some rounds. You can make a case that maybe he won the second half of the fight, four rounds to two, but he gave up the first six rounds. So this really wasn't a very hard fight to score, but the judges didn't agree with me. Uh, there's a, a two or three of you out there on Twitter who agreed with the judges and didn't agree with me, but well over 90% of people out there who have brains and eyes could see that Ramos deserved to get this decision. Let me just say, I thought this fight would steal the show. I thought that this fight would be the most action-packed. That's what many people thought. I wasn't alone in that. And holy hell did it disappoint. It just, it just sucked. And, 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 Look, Erickson Lubin, I like Lubin. He, he's an exciting fighter, not in this fight, but he's given us some exciting fights in recent years. And he's a friend of the show. He's been on the show. You guys have seen him on the show. Um, in fact, just a week after his brutal fight with Sebastian Fondora, he came on the show and did a video interview with his face still, still busted up. Um, he, he's ever so graciously did that. So I have a lot of respect for Lubin, and he's always – always been willing to fight top guys but in this fight he laid back on the back foot and just tried to pot shot and counter punch and he had some success in spots particularly in the second half of the fight like i said but it just wasn't enough there just was not enough of it for him to get the decision especially the scorecards that we saw uh what were these scorecards let me see patricia morse jarman who is one of the worst judges in professional boxing. She, she's just awful. And what's so funny, um, right before the decision was announced, I posted a tweet on X. I don't know what we're supposed to call them anymore. Can we still call them tweets? Or do we call them Xs? I posted an X on X. And I said uh, something to the effect of, watch Patricia Morse-Jarman score at 118-110 for Lubin. That's, that's what I said. And literally three seconds later, they announced the score. She scored at 117-111 for Lubin. So I was only off by a point. But my point was made. She's corrupt and inept. Just a, just not a good judge. But uh, John Mackey, who's an experienced judge, he had a 116-112 for Lubin. 
And Chris Meliordes had it 115-113 for Lubin. Uh, all three of those scores are insane. But Mackie and Jarman had it 8-4 and 9-3 for Lubin, who clearly gave up the first six rounds of the fight. Um, you don't – a retarded chimp could watch that fight and see who won it. Again, not that Ramos was particularly impressive. It, look, do I see a future world champion in either of these guys? No, I don't. Uh, Lubin is, you know, he feels like an old fighter, even though he's a young guy, because he's been in some wars and he started so young. Uh, so he still has several years left. But I just, I don't look at these guys and see dominant elite level fighters, but they're going to be players, right? Uh, I do think Ramos can learn from this and get a little better. He did do a few good things here and there, showed some skill, particularly when Lubin was on the ropes. I would see um, Ramos throw an uppercut, then shift and throw an opposite hand uppercut, then dig to the body. There's a little craft in that move, okay? Not a lot of guys do that above 135 to 147. So um, to see, you know, he has some craft. And we have, we've always known Lubin has some craft. Uh, but real quick, let me see here. Um, uh, Ramos, back to him. He had 14 knockouts in his first 15 fights. And everyone was slobbing this guy off and saying, oh, my God, he's the, the next big thing. This guy's a future world champion. He's a stud. Here's the thing. Those opponents were terrible. You know, I, I talked about Jordan Thompson's resume coming in, going into his fight with Opataya. Uh, he was 15-0, and 0 and he fought nobody. Well, that's basically what Ramos did. His first 15 fights were against absolutely nobody. He had 14 stoppages. Then he stepped up just slightly. It's not like he stepped up and fought elite-level guys, but he just stepped up and fought guys that actually have some world-class experience. And he had, he's had two knockouts in his last six fights. So suddenly that knockout streak and everything, the dominance fades. And that's what happens when guys step up, unless you're truly going to be like a world-class level fighter. Then when you step up in opposition, you step up in performance to match that step up in opposition. Does that make sense? Guys that are going to be on that level, that's what they do when they step up. That's also what they do pound for pound guys step up when they move up and wait. We'll talk more about that in a second. Um, but so you can see when Ramos, when the dominance and the KOs started subsiding, when he stepped up a little bit, he's not really the guy he was sold as. Okay. At least not yet. So, um, but all that being said, and I know you guys can't stand punch numbers. Okay. Okay. I know. I know. CompuBox doesn't get it exactly right. I, I get it. Okay. And, and punch numbers can be misleading because one guy can land 100 punches, another guy can land 50. But if the guy who lands 100 can't punch through a wet paper bag and the guy who lands 50 can punch like a mule, well, then those 50 punches count more than the, the 100 punches. I get it. But, but Ramos landed, according to CompuBox, more jabs, more than twice as many power punches more than three times as many body punches. And he outlanded Lubin in 10 of 12 fights or 10 of 12 rounds with much better accuracy. I think Lubin's connect percentage was like 17% and Ramos's was like 30%. 
And I want to say the, the, the power punch, it was almost at 50%. So Ramos landed not just more punches in every category, but substantially more power punches, substantially more body punches, which are power punches. And then at much better, almost twice as much, uh, well, better accuracy. When the punch numbers are that dominant over a 12-round fight, and this shouldn't have been a 12-round fight. That's pathetic. Same thing with the Barrios-Ugas fight. That shouldn't have been 12 rounds. These interim titles got to stop. But th this was not a hard fight to score. Jesus Ramos won. Uh, again, I'm a fan of Erickson Lubin, friend of the show, but I would tell him to his face, bro, I don't think you won that fight. I wouldn't have scored it for you. I would have had it for Ramos. Um, as far as this, the judges go, particularly Patricia Morse-Jarman, who has had several of these in recent years, um, a couple people bitched on Twitter, but absolutely zero pushback from the media from what I saw. I didn't see anything in the post-fight press conference from any uh, credentialed media member pushing back and, and pushing like Bob Bennett or anybody at the commission there on that scorecard. I, you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, because maybe I just missed it, but I didn't see any pushback. The boxing media in America right now is a fucking joke. Let me repeat that. <clears throat> Let me just make sure the mic's on. Okay, here we go. The boxing media in America right now is a fucking joke. All right, <clears throat> let's get to the main event. Oh, and before I do that, I have to show you guys a viral tweet. One of my tweets went viral, and I triggered so many people, and it makes me so happy to trigger people, so I, I just have to share this with you guys. Let me uh, present my screen here, share my screen. I just, I love triggering people. Okay, so I posted this tweet. Um, and as you can see, it has almost, almost 400,000 views right now. It's currently sitting at 392,000 views. And here's the tweet. I'll read it for the audio listeners. Stephen Fulton, Errol Spence, Jamel Charlo, all three face truly elite pound-for-pound -pound fighters for the first time in their careers this year. All three were absolutely dominated. You cannot prepare to face the best by fighting mediocre opposition and or being inactive. Now, most of you out there understood what I was saying here and completely agreed. And I got a lot of love uh, with this tweet. But there were a bunch of you out there who were really, really triggered. Um, because I hit on some truth here that really, really hurts you inside uh, because you have some weird obsession with a particular platform. I wasn't trying to beat up on that platform necessarily, but I am trying to make a point. And like, I'm not the one making the point. The fighters in the fights themselves are making the point. I'm just pointing it out. <laughs> there is a clear track record. It is unfreaking deniable at this point, guys. Okay, and a few people have brought up the Josh Taylor, uh, Tiafima Lopez fight because Josh Taylor was undefeated, was former undisputed, and he lost to Tiafima Lopez after uh, being chronically inactive the last couple of years. And that it is comparable to these three fights, except for one difference, guys. Josh Taylor actually won rounds in that fight, and it was competitive. It was maybe like an eight rounds to four type of fight from what I remember. These three fights, Inouye Fulton, Crawford Spence, Canelo Charlo, these three fights were completely one-sided. 
not one round did I give to Fulton Spencer Charlo. Not one round. And any of you guys out there who did, it was a mercy round. <clears throat> a mercy round. Okay. It, it, they were it was complete, they were completely outclassed. Tiafimo Lopez beat Josh Taylor. He didn't outclass him. So there are parallels with that fight because of, of Taylor's inactivity. And I do think Tiafimo is a pound for pound level talent. So there are parallels and comparisons. I, I get it, but it's not quite comparable because um again, Taylor was competitive in that fight. He wasn't completely outclassed, dominated, and or stopped. Okay. Anyway, um, I bring that up because it's relevant to the review of the fight, the main event that we saw um, this Saturday night. So, but also I have to correct something. Well, you guys corrected me on a mistake I made in last week's show. I said that Canelo had one defense of his super middleweight undisputed championship. Actually, he has two. I completely forgot about the John Ryder fight. It was pretty forgettable, but I, I, you know, I just forgot about it. You can't blame me for forgetting that fight. Right. Um, but he did have two and now he's got three defenses of his super middleweight championship. So uh, I've made a mistake there. Thank you guys for correcting me on that. By the way, back to this tweet, I, I got to make one more point. I'm going to pull this back up for those of you who were triggered. Okay. I'm not even going to get into, I'm not going to get into the opposition levels for Fulton, Spence, and Charlo because they had fought some decent fighters. Okay. They had, but they hadn't fought, in my opinion, the top challenges out there in their particular divisions. Charlo avoided a fight, a mandatory fight with Zoo to get this payout against Canelo. Yeah. That, that's what I think happened there. Spence and his team avoided Crawford for, half a decade and justified it by saying he's got to cross the street, blah, blah, blah. The second Bud left top rank and even sued Bob Arum, it, it, it took still what a year and a half to get the fight made. Okay. So, so spare me with that bullshit. And then Fulton, yes, he fought Roman Figueroa, I think, but he didn't fight Akhmadiyev when he had two of the belts and now he doesn't cause he he's lost, but there was a chance for, for Fulton to go for undisputed before. And he didn't do it, okay? Um, and I know there are complications, there are injuries, there are all sorts of things. But I'm just saying, guys, all in all, these guys hadn't stepped up and faced the truly elite guys that they could have earlier on. And there is inactivity. Check this out. Uh, I'll start with Fulton because he's been the most active of these three. Fulton has had five fights since 2019, including the fight with Inouye, all right? But he had a 13-month layoff going into that fight within a way that matters. Spence has had just three fights since 2019, including the beatdown against Crawford. He had a 15 month layoff before fighting bud and Charlo has had four fights since 2019, including this past Saturday. He had a 16 month layoff before his fight with Charlo, by the way, a 16 month layoff, and the WBC, the other sanctioned organizations, um, have had no issue with him holding on to his undisputed championship. He hasn't defended it once. Charlo, I'm talking about. I do believe the WBO was talking about stripping him or is about to. I can't remember for sure the, the details on that, if it's happened yet or it's going to happen soon. But um, they're the only ones holding him accountable. But the other sanctioned organizations just let him sit on his undisputed 
junior middleweight championship for 16 months. And he's not going to fight for the rest of the year. By the time he finally gets in the ring to defend it, it will be a, it will have been two years for Spence 15 month layoff. And he was able to keep his unified belts. No problem. So, so there's, there, there's definite, can I say corruption? How, how about collusion? How about collusion coordination uh, of certain platforms and their partners, their business partners in the boxing world, in this case, the sanctioning organizations, allowing certain things to happen where other guys like Josh Taylor, who I just mentioned a, a minute ago, was stripped, completely stripped of almost all of his, his titles. And um, some guys get stripped. Some guys can hold on to their titles. There seems to be a gross, gross double standard. Also, um, I haven't even reviewed the fight yet, but I have to bring this up. I've seen a lot of people on Twitter, a lot of people, or I'm sorry, I'm X, all the podcasts saying, well, Charlo lost this fight against Canelo because of the weight. Man, he moved up two weight classes. Come on. That's, that's just too much weight. Well, you're the same guys. You're the same guys that a few months earlier this year, when I brought up the weight issue with Ryan Garcia versus Gervonta Davis, you said that was all, all bullshit. You said there was no weight issue there. I said, man, they, they weight drained Ryan. They had a dehydration clause. He couldn't, or a rehydration clause. He couldn't rehydrate. Uh, so they drained him and then they wouldn't let him hydrate. He, that had to affect his performance at least somewhat. I'm not saying he would have ever beat Gervonta Davis because I, I just don't think Ryan Garcia is on that level. But weight was a factor there, right? And I was, I was called stupid. I didn't know what I was talking about. Oh, God. Wade had nothing to do with that, Mike. But now suddenly Wade has everything to do with this fight uh, between Charlo and Crawford. I'm sorry, Charlo and Canelo. And Wade had everything to do with Spence's loss against Terrence Crawford. I just think it's really, really funny the way these goalposts move and the way these narratives shift. All right. Let's talk about the fight itself. Um, this was a business transaction for Jamel Charlo. Okay. He, again, he had to fight Tim Zoo, And at the time, Sebastian Fondora was in line after Zoo, And he looked at those two fights and then he got to offer this Canelo thing. PBC just, you know, signed Canelo and they said, Hey, who's a guy that we can kind of cherry pick, you know, Canelo's side, who can we get in there and fight? That's going to be an easy kind of fight and we can make a shitload of money. Uh, but it looks really good on paper. Oh, here's this guy. Charlo fit the bill perfectly. And so Charlo at the time was ranked in the top 10 pound for pound, undisputed champion in his weight class. Looks great to the casual fan. For those of us who know anything about boxing, I, I said it before. I literally tweeted last week. I talked about the fight, obviously, on my show last week, but I tweeted uh, something to the effect of, this isn't about who's going to win because I know it's Canelo. It's will Canelo win by decision or by stoppage? It depends on how much Canelo has left in the tank. That was my take on this fight. And guess what? I was right. So um, Charlo basically was happy with surviving, never tried to win this fight. And then in the post-fight interview says something to the effect of, hey, he didn't knock me out. Uh, you know, the, the weight was too much. I'm going to go back down to 154. So he makes weight excuses and Hey, he couldn't knock me out. Th those were the two things. I mean, I'm going to translate that for you guys. This fight was a one-off a career high payday. I 
wasn't going to engage like Fulton did with Inouye, like um, like Spence did with Crawford. I'm not going to go out like they did. I'm going to play it safe. I'm going to just run and hold and survive so I can say I went all 12 with Canelo. My fans will support me. I'll move back down to 154 and go for another payday or two. And that's that. That's basically what he really said. So um, as for Canelo, he dropped Charlo in the seventh. Um, and he, it, that knockdown, by the way, was Charlo taking a knee. What was interesting is uh, it, it, Canelo sets his shots up so beautifully. He loops that right hand. And so Charlo was moving his guard over to the temple. He was putting his left hand over on his temple. And Canelo fainted like he was going to loop the right hand, saw that Charlo was moving that glove out on the temple and shot it straight. It landed right in the forehead, the center of his head. So that Canelo set that up with earlier looping right hands, shot the straight one. It hit Charlo, but it didn't hit him on the chin. It hit him on the forehead. So it didn't hurt him that bad, but it hurt him enough. It wobbled him enough where he said, you know what? Let me take a knee here because if I don't take a knee and stay on my feet, he might land another one that does hurt me, right? That if if you were fooled by Charlo's occasional pity pat combinations and you thought that was him trying to win and you're confused by that, look at that sequence in the seventh round where he gets hit, backs up into the ropes. He goes, you know, what? I should take a knee and clear my head. That lets you know right there his mentality was to go the distance and not get knocked out. That was his mentality in the fight. Jamal Charlo moved up in weight. Weight is a factor. I'm not going to say it, it had zero factor, but the major factor in this fight, skills, craft, levels. And in my opinion, Canelo completely outclassed Jamel Charlo. I get that Charlo, my question for the Charlo defenders out there, I get that he moved up in weight, but we've seen a lot of guys move up in weight and they still have success. Even if they lose, they're highly competitive against much larger, much younger guys. I can give you examples. But Canelo started his career, I don't count the 147 thing because he was a teenager. He started his career <coughs> career at 154. And then, you know, in his prime years was a 160, and then he's moved up to 168. I don't really count the 175 run because that was all smoke and mirrors. I don't count the win over Kovalev. That was all complete bullshit. But his run at 168, yeah, he wasn't going through a murderer's row of opposition, but Plant, Smith, um, Saunders, are those guys any worse than the guys Charlo fought at 54, Jason Rosario, um, Brian Castaño, Tony Harrison? Are they any worse? I don't think so. I don't think so. And when you consider that Canelo had moved up, from 154 all the way up to 168 and was fighting those guys and beating the brakes off of them. It's really impressive shit. Charlo didn't do that in his run. He fought his whole career at that weight class. I know there's some early fights, maybe lower on the weight scale, but again, he was a teenager. I'm not counting that shit. Very, very, very young. His, his prime years, you know, I've been at 154 and he um, fought guys at 154 and Rosario Harrison and um, who else was it? Castaño, they look different than Plant and Saunders and Smith. 
but and in the eyes of certain fans in, in certain YouTube channels, um, that makes them better. But guys, I'm just looking at the stats and I'm just looking at the careers. I don't rate Charlo's run at 154 being any better than Canelo's at 168, especially when you consider how much weight Canelo had already moved up. Um, Canelo moved up and was still able to compete when he moved up in weight. Charlo moved up, didn't compete at all with Canelo. Now, again, fighting Canelo is different than fighting Caleb Plant, Billy Joe Saunders. I get it. But let's use uh, Vasily Lomachenko as an example, just to trigger some of you. <laughs> the Loba haters. Uh, Vasily is still basically a featherweight that fights at lightweight, and he's fighting guys much younger than him. Devin Haney is a welterweight that smashes down to lightweight somehow. And Lomachenko is very competitive with him in that fight. Many people feel Loma won. So that is pound for pound. When you can move up in weight and fight top opposition and win, or if you lose, be damn close, be really competitive. That's pound for pound. All right. Um, Tiafima Lopa is moving up and beating Josh Taylor. Now, yeah, was that the Josh Taylor that won the tournament? No, it wasn't. It wasn't the best Josh Taylor, but still, that's a pound-for-pound level performance, man. That's what I'm talking about when I say pound-for-pound. The reason why I bring this up, Jermell Charlo's been on that pound-for-pound list, and there are people out there arguing that he's a top-five pound-for-pound fighter. I'm sorry, guys. I didn't see that. I, I, I didn't see that with Fulton versus Inouye a pound-for-pound level guy. I didn't see it with Spence versus Crawford. Spence is not a top-10 pound-for-pound fighter. Sorry, he's, he's not. And I didn't see that this weekend. Charlo is not a top-10 pound-for-pound fighter. And speaking of top-10, do we really need a top-10 pound-for-pound list? What if there are not 10 fighters currently in the sport that are elite-level operators uh, competing at their highest level and being active, in taking on pound for pound challenges. What if we only got like three or four guys? So I've, I've made a decision. I'm making a pledge right now. Going forward, my pound for pound list, I will list as many fighters as I feel deserve to be named pound for pound. I don't see the need. Like we must have 10 fighters on our pound for pound list. Do we? Are there 10 guys right now? Are there 10 guys in the sport right now in 2023 that are truly pound for pound? I don't think there are. I don't. And I'm sick of rating, uh, forcing myself to, to pick and choose the last four or five guys on this top 10 list. Fuck that. For now, on, I'm gonna, if there's three fighters I feel are pound for pound, that's my pound for pound list. Right now, it's Crawford, it's Inouye, it's Usyk, it's Canelo. Who else? That's it. That's it. Those are the pound for pound guys right now in the sport. I, 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 if I, are there other guys that, you know, you could put at five, six, seven, eight? Of course, of course there are guys, there are names you know, I could bring up, but those top four guys I just mentioned, those guys over the last two, three years, or even longer have uh, shown they are, when I think pound for pound guys, I think future Hall of Famer. That's what I think. All four guys I just listed are future Hall of Famers. First ballot. There, there's no there's gonna be no argument. First ballot. Okay. That's pound for pound. 
So right now, my pound for pound list has four spots on it. The rest are vacant. Five through ten, vacant. All right, let me make sure I hit on everything I wanted to hit on with this one. Oh, Canelo has two more fights with his PBC deal. So what's next? I mean, obviously, this is just my speculation. I think that the promotion was hoping this would be a super close fight, maybe with a a controversial scorecard, maybe a draw or something, so they could maybe do a rematch. That's not happening, obviously. Um, I I don't know where they go from here. People are talking about Canelo Crawford. Now, that fight would be a lot more competitive than Canelo Charlo was. By the way, uh, I think Charlo called out Crawford after this fight. Charlo shouldn't call out anybody right now. He has a mandatory. That's all he should be talking about. For him to call out the hottest fighter in the sport right now, at least in America, is asinine after that performance you just put on. And it shows a certain level of entitlement, delusion. And yes, I'm going to use the P word. Get ready. Get ready. Privilege. A certain amount of privilege on top of the sanctioning bodies protecting him for the last year and a half while he hasn't defended his his title. Um, Yeah a certain amount of privilege that he has uh, to even go there in those, in that moment to even go there. Uh, he, he's not the only one. Okay. There, there are plenty, there's a lot of it going around. So um, he should fight Tim zoo and no one else. That's who we should fight. I think Crawford would beat the brakes off of Charlo. I don't know if he stops him, but he actually might because he throws straighter punches and, and faster, sharper punches than Canelo that, um, that uh, Charlo's not going to see coming. And then switching to Southpaw and everything, mm, he'd have a real chance of stopping Charlo, I'm telling you now. But my prediction would probably be Bud points. But it'd be pretty wide. Nine rounds of three, ten rounds of two. It wouldn't be that competitive. Um, as for So Charlo says he's going to move back down to 154. Great. If he fights Tim Zhu, I'm interested. If he doesn't, I don't give a shit what he does from here on out. Uh, Erickson Lubin is going to fight Errol Spence. Next year for a vacant title at 154, I'm calling it now, more than likely going to be WBC or WBA because that's how PBC does business. That was the script. And that's why Patricia Morse Jarman and who was the other guy, John Mackey and Chris Meliore, that's why they scored that fight for Lubin because it was already in the script that Spence is going to fight Lubin next year for a vacant belt at junior middleweight. Book that. Go ahead and timestamp this. Book it. Whatever they call it. Bookmark it. When that happens, I'll say I told you so. Um, Canelo, I'm not interested in the Canelo Crawford fight. I get that the casuals might be. I'm not particularly interested in it. I'm interested in Canelo uh, versus Benavidez after he beats Andre. Canelo versus the winner of that fight. I'm genuinely interested because the winner of that fight is the number one challenge. Uh, the fight between Benavidez and Andre is the number one contender at 168 and that's the division where uh, canelo is the undisputed champion so that is the fight i'm most interested in second fight i'm most interested in is if bevel and canelo do a rematch at 168 i'm interested to see if bevel can shut off seven pounds and perform just as well in the rematch also interested to see if canelo can make adjustments and do anything differently in his rematch with bevel he says he can he says he's healthier now he said he claims he was injured and not 100% in that fight with Bevel. I'm interested in those two fights. That's it. Every other name being thrown around, I just don't give a shit. I don't want to watch it. By the way, I'll also add this, and then we'll move on. I proudly did not pay a dime for this fight. 
And I'm just going to call it out now. Um, we, we, we streamed this bad boy. Streamed it. I, you know, I, this was not worth $85. It just wasn't. And the proof was in the, what we saw. Okay. I was proven right on this. Um, there are very, very few events these days that I feel are worth my money. And I can hear some of you guys saying, um, you know, you should financially support boxing, Mike. If you love this sport, you should support it. To those of you saying that, I say, fuck you, because I have spent thousands of dollars, probably tens of thousands by now, supporting this damn sport, covering it as media, um, just promoting it as a fan, going to events, okay, going to live fights, amateur, pro. And in the amateurs, I'm talking juniors, masters, open, uh, World Series of Boxing. I covered those events. So that's kind of in between pro and amateur. I have been to countless shows and I've spent countless hours covering this sport and promoting it and defending it. So for anyone out there to question my loyalty or love for this sport, I just did a professional fight three weeks ago. So for anyone out there to question that, yeah, go fuck yourself. I just, I don't care about your opinion because I know that you're the one who's wrong, not me. If I don't want to pay for the dog shit that they're giving us right now, I'm not going to pay. And I don't feel guilty about it. And I don't feel uh, guilty about saying it publicly anymore. I used to really not talk about, it. let me, let me add this. There are many media members out there who ain't paying for this shit because y'all motherfuckers tell me when we talk about it, we text about it, we laugh about it, joke about it. Some of you covering these events for your websites that you write for, you ain't paying for it. Now I get why you can't say that publicly. And I'm talking some A-listers here, guys. There's some A-listers out there who still are, who, they're streaming this shit too. They're not paying for it. And they're getting paid to cover the event. That's happening. I'm just putting it out there publicly. Are there some events that I'm I pay for? Yes. Yes, there are. But right now at this stage in my life and everything I'm going through and stuff, yeah, I just if I don't feel that the value's there, I'm gonna stream it. And I'm I don't I don't feel guilty saying it. I I've supported the hell out of this sport. All right, let's do a quick preview, guys, and then um I'll take a few calls. We're not gonna take a ton of them. Um, we just don't, you know, I don't have the time. Busy, busy day. These Mondays are tough for me right now, man. Whew. My wife is giving birth in just a few weeks. We're in crunch time. Things are getting real. All right. This Saturday, October 7th, uh, there are fights in Tokyo and Canada featuring 105-pound and 108-pound title bouts. Uh, there is a card that Matchroom is putting out in Sheffield, UK, in uh, England, on zone. And that card, Lee Wood versus Josh Warrington, first offense of Woods of the WBA featherweight belt that he won um, earlier this year. It was a vacant belt that he won. So that's the first defense of that vacant belt. Warrington has not fought since a majority decision loss to Luis Alberto Lopez last December in the co-main Terry Harper <clears throat> versus Cecilia Brecus for Harper's WBA junior middleweight title and the vacant WBO junior middleweight title Harper three and oh, since moving up from one thirty. After her, her TKO four loss to Alicia Bob Gardner, it's crazy. Harper was one thirty 
for that fight. She is now fighting at 154. She made several jumps up in weight. Um, so she must have been really been killing herself to fight at 130. Brekus is 1-0 since back-to-back losses to Jessica McCaskill at 147. And then here in America, in Las Vegas, Golden Boy Promotions and Star Boxing and a cross promotion. Uh, broadcasting this on the zone as well. In the main event, Gilberto Zerto Ramirez going up against Joe Smith Jr. in a cruiserweight fight for Zerto. This is his first fight since the loss to Dimitri Bivol last November. And for Smith, this is his first bout since the TKO2 loss to Better Biev last June. So both of these guys lost to the two top light heavyweights, the only two elite light heavyweights in the world right now. Uh, they both lost to them pretty decisively. Smith was completely blasted out of there by Better Biev. Zerto was just completely outclassed by Bivol over the distance and now they've moved up to cruiserweight on paper this fight should freaking deliver on paper this should be a really really good fun fight um on paper over in the uk lee wood and josh warrington warrington he can get real ugly in fights man if that head gets involved and stuff i don't know that should be fun but the, the fight that i'm excited about the most is Zerto and Smith, because again, on paper, just due to styles and everything else, I think that thing's going to be really, really fun. Very exciting. Uh, hopefully I'm right because that Lubin Ramos fight, I thought that was going to be an amazing one. And it sucked. Super chat from Aaron Gortman. Thank you so much. My man he says, Mike, I have a feeling you're glad to see Showtime leaving the boxing game and you're not a Steven Jackson fan. LOL. Is this karma for Pauli Malignaggi? You know, Aaron, I'm not going to gloat about Showtime's departure. Um, and I'm not going to speak on it thoroughly until it's official. And that's going to take some time because they're going to hold on as long as they can. But um, they are on their way out. I think the writing's on the wall. I'll just say this. Steven Espinoza is not a good person. And I never, I never root for failure. Okay. Especially in boxing. I want everyone to succeed. Um, but he attacked and I don't know what the right word is. I'm looking for. He um, vilified the majority of his consumer base. I watched the boxing grant podcast today and uh, Vince made a great point. I can't remember exactly how he put it. So I'm paraphrasing, but he was talking about Espinoza and he said that this dude hates most of the people that watch his product. Steven Espinoza is an elitist leftist coastal fuck the flyover States type of guy. And he hates the majority of people that watch his product because they're working class blue collar guys. He likes some of them because they check certain boxes and Steven feels certain people are his pets. Um, he, he's the type of guy that would look at them that way, but other people, he just hates them because of who they are. And they're the ones that were buying his product. When you start shitting on your consumers and you start vilifying half your potential consumers just because of how they vote and you spend more time tweeting about politics and talking about things like that than actually working on your product um 
it's not going to go well. It's just not going to go well. So we'll talk more about that when it becomes, again, when it becomes official, which isn't going to happen for quite some time. Uh, they're going to delay that as long as they can. But yeah, um, I got to say this. I canceled my Showtime subscription, I think two years ago. I haven't missed it at all. I mean, the network sucks. All their shows are trash. I don't watch Billions. I don't care. Um, I hear Billions is good. I don't, I've never seen it, so I don't know. But Showtime has been so poor the last however many years. And at one time, Showtime was pretty awesome. They had some interesting shows and stuff like that. But that was a decade ago. Um, and the Showtime boxing product has been shit the last few years. I'm not talking about the pay-per-view fights, okay? That's not part of Showtime boxing. That's pay-per-view. If your regular Showtime subscription costs, what, 10, 12 bucks a month, it has not been worth it the last few years. I don't miss it. Just like the zone has not been worth the money this year. I don't miss it. The only one that's been worth the money is ESPN Plus. <clears throat> Sam A with a super chat. Thank you so much, Sam. I appreciate it, brother. He says, what kind of gloves did you use for your fight? You know, man. Your gloves. Thank you. Sam's awesome. Uh, Sam sent me some gloves. Um, I want to say it was earlier this year after my last amateur fight. And he was like, Mike, keep on punching, keep on boxing. And uh, I used those gloves for my fight a few weeks ago. I appreciate you, Sam. I appreciate you, brother. All right. Um, to Aaron, to your point about Steven Jackson, he is a... Not Steven Espinosa, but Steven Jackson, the former basketball player. I know what you're talking about, how he cut off Canelo's people and stuff at the fight. He's an absolute piece of shit. And he's indicative of why Showtime, not just Showtime Boxing, but that whole network is failing. They're losing subscribers. They're, they're losing power and steam in the industry because that dude has a show on Showtime. And I know for a fact nobody watches it. They might get 100, 200,000 viewers. He's getting paid way too much to 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 have a show that nobody watches he's basically being subsidized by their other shows that are that are profitable uh because they have an agenda over there steven jackson's a piece of shit i'll go ahead and say it all right guys we got to keep these quick all right a few minutes boom 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 so hit me up real fast and let's keep it going let's jump over to the uk i think this is hamed hamed what's up brother you got five minutes so let it rip all right let's go I was going to say, I didn't pay for that fight as well. I listened to some of what you were saying. I agreed with you. Like I don't think many people want to see that fight, but I wanted to ask you one question first. Because um, of some of these fights all going to pay-per-view, what would you say determines a pay-per-view? Is it the fighter or is it the fight? Because some people believe is one thing, other people believe is the other thing. What do you personally think would determine a pay-per-view? I like that question. I like that question. Um, it could, because it brings me to to uh, a point I've wanted to bring up. Um, I'm trying to think of, there have been a few fighters, Hamed, that I, they were must-see TV. I wanted to see it anytime they fought. Yeah. Right. Um, and so, so some of the recent ones, like when Manny Pacquiao went on his run and he was um, really, really exciting. 135, 140, 147. I watched all those pay-per-views when Gennady yeah. Golovkin went on his run. He had a few pay-per-views. I watched those. Um, there were some Canelo pay-per-views I paid for. 
I really wanted to see those guys uh, because they, to me, they were must-see TV. Terrence Crawford was the same way. But when Terrence Crawford fought, like, I think it was Amir Khan that was pay-per-view, like, I was like, yeah, I can't spend money on this. But um, sometimes it's the fighter, but there's nobody out there right now that I feel that way about, where if they they could fight a, a, you know, a bus driver and I'll, I'll pay for it. Like, because I have felt that way in the past about some fighters. And maybe it's just a maturity thing. Maybe it's now being a father, being married. I don't know. But it's... um. It, for me now, it's got to be about the matchup. It's got to be a type of a fight where I'm like, wow, th- this is, I, I can understand why this is pay-per-view. You know, this is two superstars of the sport getting in the ring against each other. They didn't wait it out. They're fighting when they should fight at the right weight. Um, but that happens so rarely that it's just, it's difficult to justify paying for all these pay-per-views, man. Yeah, all right. That's a good answer. I would probably add Oscar De La Hoya as well. I agreed with you on Pacquiao, especially. But would you say if they do go this route, because I, I see a lot of people, especially in America, are complaining. And I understand because I was trying to find a way how to watch that fight without streaming it. But when I went on, I think Fight TV in Canada, that, that was costing like $60. That's still a lot of money. So I didn't think that was worth paying more than I'd pay about twenty five, maybe something dollars. I don't know how many pounds that is, but because over here it's like four or five in the morning. But would you say? Do you think they need to drop the price then? If they are going to put fights like Canelo, John Ryder, and Canelo, I think it's a one fifty four pound on pay per view. Like, would you think that's more of a problem than the amount of pay per views? Because eighty five dollars is almost a hundred dollars then. Yeah, that's way too much money in my opinion. Yeah, I I completely agree. And I think that, you know, if pay-per-views were 20, 25, even $30, I would be more inclined to buy it. Because here's the thing, like if I go to a bar, uh, because there's a bar here in town that has all the pay-per-views and they charge like $20, $25 cover to come in. So so if you go to a bar or a theater, that's pretty much what you're going to pay anyway. So if I can pay that and stay at home, um, I'm good with that. I, I would totally pay, because let's be honest, most of the time when you buy a pay-per-view, it's for the main event. Maybe there's one undercard fight you're interested in. But I'd pay 25 bucks for a fight. I'd pay, but $85, it'd be one thing if it was once or twice a year, but it's PBC's doing these monthly pay-per-views. And, and it's just, it's too much. It, it, on top of the subscription fees and everything else, it's just too much. And I'm not going to pay it. I'm just not going to pay. If they don't take me seriously, I'm not going to take them seriously. I've just made that pledge to myself and my family. I'm going to put my family first and my money goes to my daughters before it goes to uh, a line network executive assholes pockets who quite frankly, (laughs) don't want me to exist. They want me to be extinct. Um, So fuck them. I'm not giving them my money. That's it. (laughs) Yeah. Before I I agree with you, before I go See, with the Benavides fight, I would pay for that, but do you reckon that'll be next or last? Because I see two sides of the argument that fight couldn't be made first. But some people were arguing that he should have just fought Benavides instead of Charlo, who's a 154 pounder. But if they do fight, say, in the third fight, and the next fight's another fight that not many people are seeing, want to see, do you think that'll be justified? Because I, I don't think he has to fight Benavides last. 
I'm sure they can find someone else to fight in the third fight because I, I think Canelo's running out of options. That's super winner. He is running out of options. They're just there are not any names the, the last big name globally that canelo fought was golovkin and that third fight shouldn't have even yeah. happened but um look i like that benavidez and andre are gonna fight andre hasn't done shit at 168 but he's been calling out canelo for years so let him get in there and beat benavidez then he can earn a canelo fight if he does that yeah. great if benavidez wins and he's beaten plant and andre and in my opinion he's perfectly uh, a suitable opponent for Canelo. So I, I like it. As far as the three-fight deal with PBC, I think that this second fight's going to be, I don't know, they could fight anybody. Um, I've heard Shallow rumors I've, I've heard rumors it could even be Jaime Munguia at some point. Um, so, but yeah, I, I got to jump on, man. I got a few more calls. All right, all right. All right thanks all right, a lot, man. All right, let's take a couple more. Um, we got Nacho on the line. What's up, Nacho? How you doing, brother? Uh, not too bad, Mike. Um, uh, just real quick, as far as uh, the uh, couple things you talked about. Uh, Ramos, Lubin, yeah, I'm sorry. I don't know what the hell those judges were watching, but there is absolutely no way that anybody in their right mind can say Lubin won seven or more rounds in that fight on Saturday night. He literally looked like a guy who was trying to not engage Ramos at all and basically just try to stick and move the whole fight. And Ramos was actually uh, banging his body and banging him yes. to the head and and uh, attacking him and being the aggressive one and coming forward pretty much all night, uh, except for the last three or four rounds, which I thought were pretty much the only rounds you could really give Lubin if you look at that, if you watch that fight. So for them to have scored it the way they did, it is just completely awful, and it sucks for Ramos. But also, too, I'm I'm disappointed in his reaction after the fight. I thought he'd be more pissed off about the fact that he got screwed like that. Didn't it? Come but he off was real like, dismissive of it, dude. One hundred. And thank you for bringing that up because I meant to talk about that. I've completely forgot about that. It made it feel like it was scripted, and he basically was playing his part. And they were like, listen, dude, we're going to hook you up on the back end. We'll take care of you later on. Like we're taking care of Barrios. Like they hooked up Barrios with Ugas. They're going to take care of him later on. It just, it, if, if that were me, dude, I would have been throwing shit. I got robbed in my last amateur fight. I've talked about this a little bit, not to make this about me, but I took off my gloves and my, my Jersey and I threw it in the crowd and I started screaming. I was pissed. And the crowd started cheering. They loved it. But that's how bad I was. And for him to react the way he did, that's his first professional loss. I agree with you, Nacho. That was a bad look, man. Yeah, I, I didn't get that at all. And the fact that he didn't really show any kind of anger or, or any kind of passion was just really strange. Yeah. So, you know, it, it is what it is. Uh, I'm not going to go too much into the main event. You pretty much touched it uh, on – everything Mike the only thing I will say is how do you sell him as a legitimate contender uh at 54 again after that performance I mean I don't see how you can market him as being like the guy after that awful performance like how can you sit there and sell him as a champion when he just literally went out and laid an egg in the biggest fight of his career like 
the guy was completely content to walk in there, uh, move around for 12 rounds, get dropped at one point, but then said, oh, I didn't get knocked out, so I don't give a shit. Yeah. Like, that's just going to be really tough for me to buy that people will want to see him fight at 54 again. I, I think that's a mistake. I think he should just leave those titles at 54, move up to 60, and just start on his way to try to, you know, uh, make a run at 60. Draining himself to 54 doesn't make any sense whatsoever. He, he's going to be a, an awful shell, I think, um, when he does go back down to 54. But, you know, um, it is what it is. Uh, the fights this weekend, Mike, I definitely am looking forward to both fights. Um, I'm going to say that I think Lee Wood finds a way to win that fight. I just think that he's got a little bit more to his game than Warrington does. And I think Wood is going to, is going to stay out of range as much as possible. He's not really going to, uh, scrap with Warrington. I think he's going to stick and move and, and try to box. And I, and I think he's going to win uh, a decision. Um, the other fight is tough to call because I don't know what either guy is, is coming into the fight. Joe Smith got beat up in his last fight, um, against a named fighter and, and we really haven't seen him fight since. And Ramirez, that whole debacle with him not even losing a B-ball and then not even being able to make weight by like 20-something pounds, it's like, what the hell's going on with this guy? So I think that's about as big of a toss-up fight as you can get. And I'm just really curious to see if hopefully these guys can go out there and just put on a really good performance uh, Saturday night because that's all I want to see. I just yeah. want to see a better fight than what we just saw this past weekend. Indeed. So. All right, Mike. That was my call. Thanks, Nacho. Good stuff as always, man. Yeah. Thanks. All right, guys. My wife is telling me that it's time. So I'm going to take one more call. Baby, I know you're watching. We're going to do one more call. All right? I promise. One five-minute call. Then, I, then I'll come um, help out with little Jackie. Tell her daddy's coming. And I'll be up there to play with her in just a minute. Let me take one more call. Uh, Thad, what's up, brother? I, you got five minutes, man. So hit it. Thank you, Mike. Yeah, thanks for taking my call. Listen, <laughs> PBC in Vegas got me on that Ramos fight, boy. I, I had the wrong one tabbed for a, a robbery, you know. I thought he'd stop him. I didn't think there was any need for that Ramos. I thought he'd pressure him and get him out of there. But, you know, he played it safe and, and paid. It's Vegas. That's the third week in a row I think Vegas has had a robbery. One in MMA. We actually had to train judges on how to properly score a 10-8 round with Valentina Shevchenko, who got robbed against uh, Grasso. Close fight, but they scored a 10-8 round to give the uh, the Mexican fighter a Mexican um, holiday the win. And that was like kind of the reason. And I love Mexican fighters, believe me. They're my favorites. But that was atrocious. And it cost me. And then Ramos on a parlay. Then I had a friend. I gave I gave a friend a $20 parlay to win two grand. It had Garcia by decision, big odds. Um, Barrios by decision, big odds. Uh, all the women's fight by decision, big, like nice, nice wins. And it only came down to the Canelo win and Ramos win. Ramos lost. A, this guy down on his luck, two grand he could have had in his pocket. But that robbery ended up robbing him. And he's like, what happened? What happened? He couldn't believe it because he's like, I'm going to get the pay-per-view because I feel good about this. We got the best. Because the, the fight I told him to, to worry about was the Barrios one because he was an underdog. I didn't, I didn't really know, you know, if they'd screw him, but. He was all excited. He's like, what just happened? What just happened? And I'm like, this is boxing. I'm so sorry. You know, 
he was the guy was broken hearted. Yeah, me on the other hand, cost me about five. Well, it didn't cost me. I pretty much lost maybe like three hundred on the the weekend. But all those plays would have won over ten grand if that play hit and if Canelo was able to get rid of Charlo. Oof. So, I I thought after that fight, I saw Canelo's reaction in the in the um, dressing room. He looked at it. He's like, "What? What just happened?" At that point, I'm like, I'm not even going to hedge. I'm just going to ride this Canelo by, you know, knockout because I think he's going to know he has to knock him out. Because after seeing the PBC robbery in that last fight, I was convinced he'd stop him. But Charlo, boy, lions only. I guess that's a petting zoo lion that he is because uh, he ran. <laughs> yeah, he was he embarrassing, did. Mike. Yeah. And I'm sorry to say. All the memes about him running. being a cowardly lion. He defended it. Yeah. They did. Well, of course. I mean, Charlo said... I'm going to do it for my culture. It shadowed um, when Broner said, I'm going to do it for the hood against Mandy. And he pretty much ran. He, he just survived just to take a beating all night. Well, Charlo did the same thing. He just ran and uh, he just wanted to survive. And if that's like uh, repping your culture, man, I, I'm glad I'm not part of that culture. And you embarrass your culture by, by fighting that way. If you're going to lose, why don't you go out, sell out and try to win? It's the same thing. It's a loss. Why, why would you think that you're going to get benefited by, by just lasting the distance with a life raft and a life preserver? That's what I don't understand. You know, some of these guys, they get a golden opportunity and they, and they squander it, you know? But this is, this. Charlo, he's done. And I'm going to tell you, in the past, you saw guys go up and wait and get beat. Meldrick Taylor against Terry Norris. Maurice Blocker versus Terry Norris. They both went down back to their welterweight where they had a belt. Blocker got iced in one round by Trinidad. Meldrick got, got knocked out by Cristiano Espana in the seventh round. Okay. Marlon Starling moved up to welterweight to challenge Michael Nunn at middleweight. Next fight, he comes back against Maurice Blocker and loses a decision. You're, you're, you're dropping all that weight. Okay. And, and you're never the same. Charlo goes back to 54. He gets iced by Zoo. Iced. I think Zoo knocks him out. Quote I completely agree with you. I think Zoo knocks Absolutely. him out. Absolutely. Because Charlo will be under the impression, I can beat this guy. I'm going to fight him. And if he fights him, he's going to get broken up and beaten up and swelled up. And you know That's why he didn't get swelled up against uh, Canelo. Because he ran. He ran. He ran. And uh, Zoo will ice him. Crawford would, would batter him the same way he battered Spence. I'm sorry. Charlo is not on the level of Spence. And we saw what, what Crawford did. Okay. Charlo, they call him undisputed, but he is disputed because he's never fought Tim, Tim Zhu. Okay. I hate when I hear undisputed because you could have a guy with all four belts and they could be all four paper belts and not fight the best fighters in the division. Exactly. What we saw with Charlo, he's, he never fought Tim Zhu. Yeah. So how could he be undisputed? Yeah. I, I agree. People you know overrate the undisputed thing. It's an accomplishment for sure. It's an accomplishment, but a lot of times it's due to politics. PBC owns 154. Yeah. And so it, it was all in house. And, you know, it, it's not the only time that's happened, of course. Matchroom owned 168, except for the, the plant fight. Um, but uh, so that's how they got Canelo there. Uh, so, you know, it's, hap it, it's happened before, but I agree with you. He, his run at 154 uh, is, is overrated. And it's, he's not a pound for pound Very. level fighter. He's just not on that level. No. But I, Thad, and it, it's, jump, a, it's a weak division. One, one last thing, Mike. Yeah, I like uh, Ramirez by decision against Joe Smith. Okay. Back the bully, he'll win. And Lee Wood, I think, beats uh, the shell of Warrington and uh, 
Cecilia Breaker should not even be fighting. She gets absolutely whitewashed, you know, by decision by Terry Harper. Those are the fights this weekend. I think the favorites all win. I don't think you have to worry about getting any bad decisions there. I think it's a safe play if you're going to bet the favorites. I so agree I gotta say. those with you. I agree with you on all three. Of okay, those. man. All right. Thanks, Dad. Appreciate it, bro. Okay. Have a good one. You too, man. All right, guys. Uh, good stuff. Good stuff. Um, hopefully my wife doesn't beat me up. <laughs> because <laughs> I went a little long a little longer than I told her I'd go but I uh, had a great one uh, great show guys and uh, thanks for letting me rant a little bit we'll do it again next week I love you guys have a good one see you at the fights <laughs>